0: Welcome to the Ultra Working Podcast. I'm Sebastian Marshall. I've got Chris Natterer and myself. We're talking about some research today. A wonderful researcher at the University of Minnesota, Sophie Leroy, published in Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes Journal, um, a paper about the challenge of attention residue when switching between work tasks. So, I think it's particularly cool, Chris, when you find research that um, both squares with with experienced practitioners and common sense. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whenever I see research that is like the exact opposite of what the people that are really good in their field do, I, I get a little skeptical. I get a little like, what's going on here? But this seems to square with what a lot of practitioners in everything from engineering, project management, management, creative work, and so on, seems to square. Their experience seems to square with some kind of theorist practitioners like David Allen and Cal Newport, sure. um, and so it seems to square. And then there's a couple of takeaways that are like slightly unexpected in ways you can run your life better. So I, I, I love that, that's just a combo that I like. So you found this this paper and I was, I was delighted to go through it. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. What's uh, Attention residue. That's that's interesting. What's attention residue? This is super interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, new concept that I didn't know before, but its name. Um, basically, what it is is you are working on a task, you're working on a project. Um, you then switch to a different task or project, and ideally, you want to be you know full in the moment now completely. Um, Having all of your cognitive abilities focused on this new task at hand, um, and, and you know not thinking about anything else, just working on this new task, that's unfortunately not the case. Very often, what happens is that there is a a piece of the old task still floating around somewhere in your mind, um, re- taking away your ability to give a hundred percent of your of your cognitive abilities to this new task at hand. And she calls this attention residue.
0: Yeah, and this like squares with common sense experience. Something that's not from the paper, but it's the first thing that I go to is if anyone's ever in like a stupid argument with a romantic partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, or a roommate or or, or another family member. Even if you aren't explicitly thinking about it, you're just not as dialed in if you're going to study linear algebra or, right. or work on composing a symphony or something afterwards, right? So it's like, there's some, like what, what do we think? Like attention residue, like in, in, in plain English, not, not the academic definition. It's some like, what would what, you say earlier that it's kind of like some of your RAM is still allocated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think
1: that's a, probably even like a super correct way to think about it, your working memory Probably is, is still has some other stuff inside that will, takes up space, takes up some of your cognitive uh, power um, away from what you actually want to be focusing on. Um, and then we're talking here about the concept generally of task switching, of context switching, and I think you know every like it's a it's a well known or it's at least a well repeated um, you know fact that there is a switching cost when you switch between contexts. And this paper sort of gives an explanation of what, what might be going on there.
0: Yeah, cool. So let's talk a little bit about how their like experiment design was set up. Mm-hmm. And then there was two takeaways. One of them is like, duh, everyone's going to be like, duh. And one of the takeaways is that there is a penalty yeah. to cognitively switching costs. They measured it. Um, they were doing like very simple stuff in the study and they were measuring in milliseconds. So they're using fine instruments. I think it's a very reasonable uh, hypothesis that this would, would generalize to larger things. Because they had like right. simple, kind of experimental, yeah. controlled conditions. Yeah. You know? It's much harder to control doing a study on, on people doing different PhD theses or, or composing music or something. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like, the processes are so unique from person to person. Um, but yeah that was one of the takeaways and then there was a takeaway as to how to how to minimize the penalty and how yeah. to deload the stuff from ram. That's the super interesting part. But yeah. let's let's get there. Let's get there en route. Let's start with like yeah, what was what was the study? What did uh, what did uh, Dr. Leroy come up with? Yeah, it's really interesting to see how in that
1: field, I guess it's psychology, um, how they design these studies to make sure that certain effects don't interfere with what they're trying to test and ultimately also how can you I mean attention residue sounds like a fairly abstract concept like how can you design a study to measure something like that. Here is the rough study design. They had participants first work on a task A, then work on a task B, and then um, make them perform a, a reaction test that relates to task A, so A, B, a more or less is, is, is the is the order. And, and basically, on this reaction task, if you take a longer time to do this task, that means that you basically were thinking about something completely different. And when you see a word that relates to the, the first task, you have to bring this, this, this task into your mind again. You have to reload context. Um, and when you performed Better on this task when you're faster, that meant that the context was still kind of present in your mind and you didn't have to completely recreate it. That was sort of the study design, how they did it, and then they, you know, uh, moved a few pieces around to, um, to test for various different things in there.
0: Yeah, and the two tasks, uh, if I recall correctly, the first one was like a simple. Like word problems, kind of like 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 something yeah. like solving a crossword puzzle or Scrabble or something like that, where mm-hmm. you're you're doing some very verbal stuff. And the second one was like assigning. I, I didn't go super deep in exactly what it was because uh, it was more of the high level concept, but it was something about like matching jobs yeah. to people.
1: Yeah, they had to. It was a very human-like task. They had to review the uh, resumes of uh, of job applicants for a couple of minutes, and then they were given a job description and had to sort of decide which one of the resumes actually matched that job description better. And um, a few funny things in there. They were told for task A that, I found this very funny, they were told that this, uh, the completion of this task had been shown to correlate with intelligence um, because framing it like that is commonly used to make participants more motivated to finish a task, so by telling them, "Hey, if you do this, you're actually going to show that you're really intelligent." People were more motivated to to give them find best.
0: Psychologists, hilarious! I, I find this. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, play, do this crossword puzzle. Everyone's like, whatever. It's like correlates with intelligence. The people that do better in the crossword puzzle are smarter. Oh, oh, oh! Well, uh, uh, a across. I think that's right. birdhouse. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, So, okay, so they did a, it wasn't a crossword puzzle, but call it something like a crossword puzzle. Then they did, okay, you're hiring a quality control person for a a plant, you know, do you want someone with an engineering background or do you want somebody with, with another background, right? Yeah. And then they said, okay, hey, by the way, what was A across in the crossword puzzle? And they figured that if it took you longer to remember, that means you had kind of like put that away. Yeah. So the, the
1: last part of this is just interesting for people who, you know, learn about how this field operates. They use something called a lexical decision task. And these kind of tasks, lexical decision tasks, are commonly used to identify what is most active in someone's mind. Um, and they do so by recording how fast people recognize whether a stimulus, for example, a, a word, uh, presented on a computer screen... Is a real word or a non-word? Hmm. So you're getting shown like a number of characters and you have to decide, hey, is this a real word or is this a non-word? And basically in the in the study design here, these words or non-words would be related to the
0: words that were used in task A in the, in the previous task. So like doggy is a real word and doogle is not a real word. Right. Got it. All right, quite interesting. So, now I, I, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, two things that I think are standard uh, things. The f- the first one is, you know, this is all kind of constructed in the lab. You know, most of the time people aren't going to be doing these yeah. lexical word yeah. things followed by like looking at resumes without a, you know. So it's constructed in a lab, and, and so that is what it is. Um, and the second thing is they were using pretty fine instruments here. They were measuring these things in milliseconds. Um, for me, that's actually like better because that—that's you, you know what I mean. If you're measuring in minutes, the variation in mm. performance on stuff is like, yeah, y- y- you know, it could be because of a lot of factors, right? Right. Um, but in milliseconds, that's like okay, that's like a brain, brain-related, yeah. yeah. brain-related thing. Um, and it wasn't like a gigantic difference, but it was like certainly enough of a difference that if you uh, were to think about this like recurring over and over and over again, you know, if if something. Takes you uh, 5.5 seconds and takes me 6.5 seconds, Mm -hmm. you know, or or like 0.55 seconds and 0.65 seconds, right? Well, if that recurs 20, 30, 50, 100, 500, Mm -hmm. 1,000 times in an hour, right? I mean, that first might add up to a lot. And and, and second, you, you know, I could see the the kind of accumulate, I could see almost like a exponential, like a kind of a compounding interest type yeah. effect here, where like, even though there might be a, the variation might be as small as 5%, 10%, 15%, like, hey, you compound 15% across yeah. like a few weeks of work for the distracted right. person, the non-distracted person. It's not like the 15% is 15% better. It might be like 10,000% yeah. better, you know? And
1: I can totally see, uh, you know, an argument here that this is an extremely simple task. This is almost, you know, breaking work down to the purest, like, decision-making skills that your brain has, almost innate. Like, a, this, this task can be performed by a, you know, seventh grader that just has the ability to understand the, the English language. Um, maybe this is actually, this effect is actually much more, um, more present in in work where it's really cognitive demanding and you have to take you know, 20, 30 minutes to even understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and make any progress. I could see that attention residue plays even more of a effect in those scenarios since it already plays effect in something as seemingly trivial as deciding whether or not a word is a word or non-word.
0: That's interesting. And by the way, I feel like this is when we're due for our um routine uh, relentless speculators by non professionals <laughs> exactly. caviar we're, we're talk when we're making definitive statements about what's in Dr. Leroy's paper then uh, you take it up with Dr. Leroy if it's correct or not when we're not specifically attributing it to Dr. Leroy <laughs> well that's all our fault if we're, if we're swinging and missing at the ball but i think we're on i think we're on pretty solid ground um, so okay so so far right they set up this this these these experiments and they found that when you're still thinking about task A, you do slower on task B. Yeah, fairly straightforward. They found that when you're fully engaged-ish or more engaged in task B, then it takes longer to actually get back to task A. So it's like the same thing again, actually, um, which is which is quite interesting. But. What I think was really interesting, and this is, is where the, 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 the money is, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, for people, is they found, uh, Dr. Leroy and team found um, some conditions that seemed to mean that attention residue went down more, yeah. which means you were like less thinking about the first things. So yeah. so, some things more or less. And, and what were those? Yeah, it's super interesting.
1: Okay, so the first takeaway just in general is, hey, there is attention residue is a thing. It is present, and for us maybe a takeaway is task switching comes at a cost, and if we have options to reduce it, yeah. then we should use them, okay? That's the first thing. Okay, but now that we have accepted this, so what can we do? Um, the first, the first um, result that they found was, it makes a difference in the amount of your attention residue when switching from A to B, whether or not you had successfully completed A. So when you switched from an unfinished task to this new task, so you worked on A, but you didn't quite get it done, and then you tried to switch to B, the attention residue was higher than when you actually managed to sort of, you know, tick A off your, 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 your list there, um, be, be happy with the result, and then switch to B. And this is very practical. I mean, this really I think too often we work on something, we don't quite get it right, and then we just switch to the next thing. And this is this is expensive from a cognitive perspective.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm not sure if this is explicitly in the paper, but but I, I think I read it correctly. I think it's like if they didn't finish the task A stuff. Again, it wasn't a crossword puzzle, but I'm just trying to make it. Yeah. You know, or doing a podcast and like describing a computer thing. Like yeah. it's like like crossword puzzle type stuff, mm-hmm. right? Kind of, kind of easier than that, but like, kind of like that. If you didn't finish the crossword puzzle, like you weren't going to go back and finish it, I believe, in the study. It wasn't like you were gonna have to bring it home or do it or yeah, do yeah. it later. No. No. no, it was just like you're just you're done. Okay, yeah. whatever. You got seven out of ten of the things, right. you're not gonna get the other three ever. You're done. So you're done engaging with it. Yeah. But you didn't finish it. Right. And you were still more distracted. Totally. on task B. You still have more attention residue on task B. You still have slow reaction times on task B. If you finish the crossword puzzle, yeah, you, you are done engaging with it for the rest of your life either right. way. Yeah, this
1: really... Um, there is this, not sure where it's coming from, I, I've, I've heard it, you've heard it, only touch it once, only touch things once. This square relates to this thing here. The rule could almost be like, if you touch it at all, better make damn sure that you can finish it. Um, and if you can't finish it, like don't touch it yet because,
0: yeah, this you, will. Yeah, this is amazing. Great minds think alike because you know we get together when we're doing a show talking about research. We say, hey, which points do we want to go deep on or not? Where do we want to talk about method? You know, we we prep to yeah. do these these mm-hmm. shows because it's big complex paper lots of tables of data and we're looking at the milliseconds and stuff and we're like you want to get in the milliseconds of people in you're like no <laughs> no we don't want to get into that right but we didn't talk about only touch it once it also occurred to me mentally great mm. minds think alike and I think about the acronym Ohio only handle it once right only yeah. handle it once yeah. I, I like that one you know yeah, only yeah, touch in you Ohio know yeah. only yeah. handle yep. it Perfect. once right and I thought about that too so again this isn't in the study we're speculating but it seems like a very reasonable speculation you look at an email and you don't reply to it, you don't hit the archive button, you don't hit the delete button, you don't forward it to somebody and be like, hey, you please handle this. Yeah. Your reaction times on your next thing gonna be slower even if you're not thinking about it anymore, if this holds for that, and it probably does. Yeah, yeah, this is exactly.
1: And, and this is something that's so common in today's work environment. We, we, we check Slack, we check emails, And this paper basically shows you what happens. You look at this email and you think, I'm just going to quickly look at this email. You're going to suffer the consequences.
0: Minus 15% (laughs) (laughs) for a while. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Super interesting. Um, I like it when, you know, there is when, when certain behaviors that we already, I think maybe intuitively, if we really thought about them, knew that they're not optimal or that we have some way to improve them. And then, now there is some theoretical underpinning that maybe, you know, helps you to make that push or be more um, aware of how you deal with these things.
0: Yeah, I I also love that. When you get a more scientific and quantified breakdown of things that are, you know, what the experts and the practitioners and the more um, informal theorists, informal as opposed to, like, not experiment derivation, but, you know, just kind of like, I think it might be this. So that's interesting. The really cool thing was they found another condition and this this one this one is so counterintuitive I did not expect this.
1: Yeah so um, just to quickly summarize first one there is a tension residue. Secondly when you switch from a finished task it's actually lower than when you switch from an unfinished task. The third finding was however even switching from a finished task does not guarantee that attention residue is not present. You can, however, further decrease the amount of attention residue that, that, that remains if you work under high perceived time pressure. So if you, yeah, if you worked on task A, sort of in a, hey, I only got 30 minutes to get this done, or an hour to get this done, and then I have to switch to task B, and I have to get this done. If you completed task A under those conditions and then switched to B, the attention residue
0: in the scenario was at the lowest. This blows my freaking mind. Level. Yeah. This blows my freaking mind. So, so because it's kind of counter. It like it makes sense, but it's also a little counterintuitive. I'm not sure I would have guessed that, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, like. If you come back from lunch at one o'clock and you start working on a long email or a memo or something, and it's going to take you an hour or whatever, it's long. Yeah, yeah. And you finish it too. It's whatevering, consuming. It's generating probably some attention residue for the rest of the day, even if it's complete. If it's not complete, you're screwed. Like, f- right. forget it, you lose. But but if it's complete, you're still maybe a little bit like some of your brain is over there. Yep. However. If it's 11 a.m. and you're like, I got a lunch meeting, I gotta wrap this freaking thing up in a hurry. Even if it takes the same amount of time, apparently, if we're mm-hmm. reading and inferencing correctly, mm-hmm. which I think we are, and you're like, I've got to work on this thing, I gotta, gotta get this out the door, and then I'm off to lunch. Your brain's just like, okay, I'm done with that once it's done, and just dumps it. Correct. And this is, yeah, like as you
1: said, this is counterintuitive because here's a here's a counter, here's a way to think about it why it could be producing the opposite result. You could be thinking, hey, I really had to get this out the door rushed. Maybe I missed some things when I, wrote the, when I sent this email, I hope I didn't make any mistakes. But actually the opposite is true in this scenario. By, being, by, by having to rush, you actually feel um, more satisfied and, and we can come to exactly how this affect comes about, like what exactly happens when you add time pressure to the equation that then all of a sudden leads to less attention residue. And I found that chain of, of, of causalities, and this leads to that, leads to that, leads to that, leads to less attention residue and better performance. Super interesting as well because there are th- some things in there that I absolutely would not have been able to anticipate.
0: Right, and, and for the record, we're not recommending franticness to anybody, right? It's more of just, this is this is really just mind-blowing. And, and you know, this looked like good. It was like, not gigantic crazy magnitudes, but like noticeable and like consistent with like a lot of good measurements and good science, and it's like the yeah. conclusions aren't overstated. It looks like a good paper, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, time pressure manipulations from the paper. Time pressure is manipulated based on Perceptions of time pressure as opposed to the actual time available. Yeah. Right? Participants' perceptions of time pressure were primed prior to engagement in task A by eliciting expectations of either too little or, on the contrary, adequate time for completion. Time was made salient in all high time pressure conditions by using a tape recorder that counted down the minutes in the background. The announcement was made every minute. Right. That is also, I, I highlighted that because I have
1: found that to be a really interesting um, yeah like okay they, they're making time salient to when they want to test these by counting down the, the time in a minute so like as you're working you're like aware of the passing of six time.
0: minutes until task a is complete yep
1: yep and this is something I mean that this seems kind of Potentially very practical, and you could experiment with this yeah. in in your daily. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's 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 mind blowing to me because something. I mean, okay, uh, uh, reckless, completely inappropriate. Not in Dr. Leroy's paper. Speculation alert. Right. It's almost like it's either it, it has to be. I would think either neurological or biochemical. Like. Mm. Yeah. like what else would it be, yeah. right? Yeah. So there has to be something of like, maybe if you're in the get up and get after it because the time's freaking ticking down condition, who right. knows, maybe some cortisol levels come up and then when the cortisol levels drop, yeah. the, the condition is clear. Yeah. Maybe you're entering into one state and then when you switch out of that state, then it right. clears, maybe uh, neurologically you're routing a little differently or more or something. Uh, maybe the connections are formed more tentatively in the brain and not, I'm speculating here, I don't know. And I can join,
1: like, yeah, I can just jump right in. I mean, the time pressure is like, okay, I'm in, like, what does it mean? I have to do something until something or something else happens. It's sort of a danger, like something, Mm -hmm. there is something on the line if I don't get it done until this magical moment in time. And, um, we just, you know, did a science paper show on working memory and how, our brain even has a switch of, hey, this is a critical situation. This is now really important. Let me engage more of my mental resources um, as they relate to working memory. And so basically when, when our brain feels in a, I don't know, maybe you can call it fight or flight situation, like a, it really matters now. It just makes sure that all of the, you know, it just like sort of puts the, the, the switch on all resources available. Um,
0: yeah. Right. But then, this is mind-blowing, then you're more free afterwards, yeah. for yeah. lack of a more scientifically rigorous word. Um, in less of an attentional residue condition, I suppose, right. <laughs> if I want to sound like a scientist. But this is mind-blowing to me.
1: Yeah, here's the, here's the sort of chain of events that happened when you introduced time pressure. And I found it yeah, really counterintuitive, interesting. So, um, when you have to finish something under time pressure, what happens in your in your mind is that you will actually reduce the possible paths to completion that you are considering. You're like, okay, let's, let, let's like cut the, I need to get this done. What is a straightforward way? Or what are the two, three... straightforward way to get this done. You will stop like overthinking it, you will stop like what are all of the ways I could be doing this. You're like okay I need to get this done, what is the way I can get this done. That actually, so I don't know if there is a there's a book called the paradigm of choice that deals with how our brain um, deals when we have too many options available. Um, And there is a lot of interesting studies, some of it is actually quoted in in the paper we just um, discussing where if you have to decide between many many different options you're actually going to feel less confident in your choice. The same is the same effect plays into account here. You're adding some time pressure that means you're now reducing the number of options you have to finish this task. Now it's only three ways you choose one of them, you finish the task with option A that you just chose, because you had to choose from a lower subset of options, you're actually increasing the confidence in your performance. You're feeling more sure about the work you just did. You're feeling more happy, like, yeah, I found a really straightforward way to get this done. That allows you to end cognition on this task in a better way.
0: Interesting, interesting, interesting. So it's kind of like, you know, if you generate 30 different strategies, you know, you might be a little bit second guessing in the yeah. background, a little bit keeping the loops yeah. open. Maybe you want to do a post mortem in your brain a little bit, you know, right? Yep. Um, now, something I, I do think we should caveat, as far as I can tell. Right, the high time pressure thing was like not frantic and not whatever because that right. does compete with the finished unfinished thing. Yeah. So, if you give yourself too little time and you don't finish, you right. more than gave back the gains. Totally. Like, you know, it's just like if you do finish, like overthinking it at the beginning of a thing versus like, hey, I can't screw around. Let me make the straightforward good plan yep. and execute on it. Because there's there were these um, takeaways listed in the paper, there's like a lot of them. We're not even going to talk about all of them but people who finish task A under high time pressure are more confident in their task A performance than people who finish task A under low time pressure. And the one after that, elevated confidence in task A performance results in higher performance in task B, which is totally unrelated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, if you get the thing done, like, hey, I can't screw around, I gotta get this done. They have the same amount of time. I think we should say this. This isn't lower the time. This is like, uh, colloquially, this is more like get your ass in gear as yeah. opposed to like shorten the time. So yeah. this is. Same amount of time, it's more just like, hey, whoa, I got to get this done versus like whatever, right? The, hey, I got to get this done means you generate a uh, acceptably good option faster in this case, which is simple. Maybe for complex stuff, if you're building a nuclear power plant, maybe you want (laughs) to pay the penalty of second guessing to have looked at all the options, right? Or not, you know, you got to like get the right levels of generalization here. But you pick the good, straightforward plan, you execute on it, like, hey, I can't screw around, I gotta like get this thing done before lunch. You pick the good option, you get it done. You feel more confident afterwards. You dump the rest of it, the attentional residue, from memory to a greater extent. You have faster reaction times than the next thing. And there's the confidence boost of that if you, I just did a good work on the last thing, and then you kill the next thing. It was kind of a momentum thing. Yeah, really, yeah. It's like a science for momentum. You know, momentum totally. momentum seems so vague and unscientific and like what the hell is that? But like we all know that it's there. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really if you get like if you get started once you like you work on something with a bit of pressure, you finish it, you will actually feel great about it. You feel like I got a really good thing done here. You can sort of get it out of your mind, move on to the next thing, and actually perform better on that, and maybe get Again, a really good result, and then ideally over the, day of a, over the course of a day, you'll move from A to B to C to D, and so on. Every time, paying less penalties or, or you know or getting some benefits. If you think of it the opposite way, yeah, ma- massive. If if you stretch that out over days and weeks and, and months and years,
0: you were saying this paper is like an advertisement for work cycles exactly. and <laughs> the work generally we should. Ruthlessly promote to go out of our high-minded ivory tower love of epistemology and and rigor and and just say, hey, everybody should do work cycles. Work cycles is where it actually does provide a bit of a a grounding and empirical grounding for it. You know, with work cycles, we work for 30 minutes with a 10-minute break. And at at TWG, at the work gym, um, you know, we have a moderator live saying two-minute warning, get to a good stopping point at the 28-minute mark right, then a 10-minute break, and then it's like back at it 30 minutes on. So you know somebody's keeping time, and then the breaks happen, and, like, yeah, apparently this is maybe as much as, depending on how you want to generalize, somewhere from just a couple of these effects alone, 5 to 15% or something, which is a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Basically, every cycle, every 30 minutes, you're creating your own high-time pressure situation in some sense because you're deciding what you want to get accomplished, and now you're, in, in some sense... Competing against yeah. yourself and what you set out to do.
0: Yeah, and I do want to emphasize again and again and again and again So people don't sometimes you read a research paper and like you do it like slightly wrong yeah. This isn't saying give yourself less time to artificially like that might work or might not work But that has nothing to do with this paper. This paper was for the same amount of time being more aware Yeah of the passing time and being like yo, I got to be moving on this psychologically Um seem to lead to more confidence in the output. Mm-hmm. Same amount of time though, but mm-hmm. more confidence in the output and less uh, attentional residue, which seems like it slows you down, is distracting potentially a little bit, slows literally so your reaction time down in milliseconds, like you come up with ideas and process information slower yeah. when you're in an attentional residue condition.
1: Yeah, I would um, absolutely, so I mean, for me the takeaway is, I'm go- here, when I work on something, Work on it with some, some you know, dedicated focus to get it done quicker. I would call that. I will, you know, I'm like I could be working on this very relaxed, or let me put some lines here in the, in the in the ground and say, hey, I'm working on this for an hour. Let's see how, how how far I can go, get if I can get this done in an hour. If at an hour mark I wasn't done. I would give myself the additional time needed to finish this task because I want to get this task done now. And this is something that maybe in the past I've been like yeah I'm almost done but you know I kind of have this next thing lined up let me just move over and get back to this later. If you can not do that and, and actually get task A done this is going to be yeah, it's just going to pay dividends. So.
0: Because that gets the completion thing. And additionally, you know, you could almost design a, a mental protocol for yourself of like, I'm going to give myself 30 more minutes, and then yeah. I'm just going to ship whatever I have. Especially if it's something that like, you, you know, if you're doing like a PowerPoint, if you're doing a memo, if you're doing one of those things that like can be infinitely perfected, Yeah. You, you give yourself, okay, i got 30 more minutes, and I'm putting this out the door. Even better, if there's like an actual something coming up next, presuming it's an adequate amount of time. We're not saying that you can do things... So some things do take an hour and you can't do them in five minutes, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and um, especially here is a thing like if you're... This seems the... the, um, I found it super interesting with the the time pressure reduces the options you're considering. This is... I found this point that's really stood out to me because this kind of gets rid of maybe overthinking Mm. things. If you're someone who tends to overthink Things, additional time pressure, and, and you know, I only have an hour to get this done. Yeah, it seems to be a very workable strategy to at least, to some degree, reduce that amount of overthinking.
0: Yeah, I'm reminded of that quote. I think it was by General Patton. I'm just going off of memory, which is like a good plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan mm-hmm. next week. Something, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. And again, I, I, you know, we're big advocates of planning over here, right? So it's. You, you know, you want adequate time to, to go down the lines of it, but but more time than that seems to be unhelpful, and being unmindful of the time seems to be unhelpful. The other thing, based on what you said as well, you know, um, you know, like we did the, the show, I did the show Whip Age Zero, Work in Progress yep. Age Zero, when you turn yep. around things on the same day. If you even like implicitly say to yourself, I will turn this around by the end of the day, I, I would suspect that that generates... This effect. If you're like the person with the freaking katana, like Uma Thurman, you just turn it around the same day. You know, like uh, I would think that that would generate this in a positive way. This is a fun paper. Um, This is really really fun. Let's uh, let's like recap recap the the thing and the takeaways. And again, we're we're some of this is speculation. Extension seems all reasonable. Uh, We'll obviously link the paper in the show notes. Uh, Shout out to to Dr. Leroy. at the University of Minnesota, really really cool stuff. Um, takeaways.
1: Yeah, okay, main, main three points um, are, there is this thing called attention residue. Uh, when you switch from task A to task B, it exists. It, it will, will have some impact on your future work. Um, it's better to complete tasks before switching away from them. And thirdly, if you add or create uh, a, a subjective feeling of time pressure. If you try to get things done a little bit quicker, if you create this sort of, let me let me see how, how fast I can get this done. It will actually make your work um, run better and it will make your work feel more satisfactory. You actually feel more uh, confident about the work that you did, which is super cool because it like, it's, you're getting a, a win, you're getting some benefits for even more benefits.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And the attention residue thing, this is like a thing. This like slows down your very simple cognitive processing in milliseconds. Like your ability to like recognize that the word doggy is a word and doggle is not a word. Or maybe doggle is a word <laughs> now, but <laughs> doable, whatever, right? Um, so that's really interesting. The other thing is, you know what? I, I, it just clicked for me now that we're at the end of the show. I think the word time pressure probably has a different cultural connotation. Mm-hmm. They define it, right? So, okay. scientists, you can define whatever you want. Yeah. We could almost say it's like high time awareness right. and no extra excessive time. Yeah. You know, so if you have like someone's going to take two hours and you've got two hours and you need it done in those two hours, that's good. We're not saying if something that would done in a thorough good job sort of way, it that would take two hours and you only have forty-five minutes. Yeah. So so time pressure can mean I think the colloquial time pressure is different than how Dr. Leroy defined it. Yeah. I think an awareness of time and not having surplus of time, not having extra time more than you need. Yeah right. I mean maybe it's worth to go into this last point in the study
1: design. They basically gave everybody the same amount of time. But the one group they told they they said that this amount of time may be like it's going to be tight. It's going to be tight. They have to like go to do a good job in like how fast you, you they better stay this. on your game
0: here. Don't yeah. daydream, or you ain't going to get it done. They knew that
1: this group would most likely get it done because that's the, how the study was designed with the given time. But this extra bit of making them aware and that they should move a little bit faster if they could made them, you know, get create this this. Mental thing in their mind that, that it produced all of these results.
0: Yeah. So when we say time pressure, it's not inadequate time; it's no extra, or very little sounds, extra. Sounds, sounds good, yeah. Combined with an awareness of time, with the thing being read out. I don't necessarily think the thing being read out should be called time pressure. Not to—I didn't go super deep into the thing, but I think we could say it's like an awareness of time yeah. passing. Yeah. Is is the other thing. So there's maybe two things. So time pressure colloquially, I, I think people probably imagine something different than what the the doc. Yep. the university was, uh, yep. was saying right. about that. So, cool. Um, yeah, this is, this is a fun paper across the board. Attentional residue is a thing. It happens on a very, like, elemental level. Uh, finishing the thing means you have less of it. If you finish the thing without a surplus of time, you also more cleanly switch to the next thing with less attentional residue, which is mind-blowing to me. That, that, that point was the jam the of the paper. So, Chris, this was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and everybody, hey, get get moving one thing at a time. Finish listening to this podcast in the next 20 seconds. <laughs> do whatever you need to do. Um, and then cleanly switch to the next thing and do the same. All right. As always, thank you for listening. Be well.